And welcome to the latest edition of March Madness Men's Basketball. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by C.L. Brown, who covers North Carolina and has really covered the Triangle for a long time, as well as Louisville. Used to work with him at ESPN. Now he is back in North Carolina, back at newspapers, grinding that beat. The Raleigh News and Observer, an outstanding journalist, writer, knows the Triangle very well. He was there on Saturday night with me, among many others, for North Carolina Duke in a stunner as North Carolina knocked off Duke in what was Coach K's last home game at Cameron Indoor Stadium after 42 years. Mike DeCourcy will also join me from the Big Ten Network, the Sporting News, and Fox Sports. Discuss a little bracketology here during Champ Week. For my Cats ranks, we are going to look at my top 10 matchups Champ Week. couple teams have to win to get there, but the 10 I think will happen that I'm really looking forward to. And we've got a crazy week of Selection Sunday on Sunday. So here's the deal. Saturday was one of the more unique events. We're going to talk about this with CL, but, you know, I was looking forward to this all season. I got my hotel back in October because I wanted to be there so bad and was hoping I would be working it. And I was for March Madness and Westwood One Radio doing sideline with Kevin Kugler and PJ Carlissimo. Uh, It was just awesome. I mean, what an event. Felt like a tailgate. It was a who's who in college basketball, certainly Duke, other dignitaries like Jerry Seinfeld and Tim Cook. It was something. And I've been very fortunate to be at a lot of Duke Carolina games, but uh, this one was at another level, which is hard to do in that rivalry. And then for Carolina to win, it just takes it to a whole nother level. Just ridiculous that they were able to pull that one off. So we'll discuss that with CL Brown. We'll get into the bracket uh, with Mike DeCourcy, and we'll give our thoughts. So let's dive right into it because a lot of get to a lot of meat here with my two guests and then my cat's rank. So let's first up discuss what we both saw Saturday night between Duke and North Carolina. Here's CL Brown. CL, you were there like I was on Saturday night for Coach K's final game, and Carolina stunned him. So first, I just want to get your thoughts on what you thought that event was like. Oh, wow. Uh, for a regular season game with really nothing at stake, you know, but bragging rights, it was probably the most, I was trying to think if there was something that I could equate to it. I remember when Louisville, the last game they played in Freedom Hall, that was a big event. Syracuse, I think, was coming in number one at the time. Louisville didn't have the best team, <laughs> you know, at, at that time. They weren't really a contending team, but they ended up, winning Kyle Keurig, the former walk-on, had this explosive game, and it was a big event for the university and the city. I think this surpassed that just because of what Coach K has meant to the game of college basketball. And certainly, based on that first game they played where Duke beat Carolina by 20, you know, first a lot of people were just going into this game like, we hope it's a good game. (laughs) I was one of them. Yeah, yeah. Even though uh, on the Duke side, I'm sure they would have taken another 20-point blowout, especially considering what happened. But it was, you know, it was a goosebumps game. Like, you you just went in, and I love games where you feel that buzz is tangible and the excitement, you know, everything, you can feel it, even though it's not even being said. So it it was great to be in that environment. You know, and I've been very privileged to be at a lot of great events in this sport. And I think back to the Rick Pitino game, because I was at the first Louisville at Kentucky game with Pitino as head coach. But that was different because that was nasty. 
Like there was a, an anger about that one. And it was one-sided, obviously, uh, directed toward Rick in that game at Rupp. This was obviously a celebration and there was a finality to it. And that's why I can't think of a comparable example in the regular season to where you knew there was an ending to this tenure of someone who has been coaching almost as long as we've been alive. And um, well, he's been coaching as long, but actually at the same school, uh, we're both a little older than that. But so, yeah, the finality of it was remarkable. The fact that you knew this was a hot ticket, they always are for Duke Carolina, but this one had gone to another level. And the other thing, A, it helped, it was a beautiful day. But B, it felt like a big-time college football Saturday. I mean, I've seen the Krzyzewskiville, obviously, before. but Tailgating. Yeah, Yeah. the tailgating and the milling around outside. I don't know, I just had like a feeling like this was a big-time college football Saturday. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I know people who came from, I, I have a cousin that's a big Duke fan. He drove from Atlanta, didn't have a ticket, didn't have a chance of getting a ticket, wasn't trying to get a ticket. He just wanted to be in the environment. You know, he just wanted to be around other Duke fans to kind of feel like he had a piece of that celebration for Coach K's career. Obviously, he drove back to Atlanta mad. (laughs) But I think it kind of brought that out. This was an event. This was a celebration. And, you know, people were over on Duke's campus from – you know, the beginning of Saturday morning until till the game, until late at night, just wanting to be uh, wanting to have a story to tell later on. It'll be good to revisit <laughs> those memories from that side after the fact. But you were just bumping into people when I just kind of happened to be walking through. I saw Dirk Nowitzki. It was like it was no thing, you know, like it was kind of funny seeing some of the celebrity faces that were there. And it just being like, you know, probably like New Yorkers feel about Tuesday. (laughs) You know, it's just another day. Well, and the other thing, too, is there are very few programs. Duke's one of them. North Carolina's another. Clearly a different generation to some degree of UCLA. And I would argue maybe a little Kansas. And Michigan State's have obviously had led by Magic. Like there was NBA royalty as well in there because there's been so many elite NBA level players that have come through, not like a slew of top 75 guys, obviously Grant Hill was there, but in terms of like probably the biggest name, you know, that was in the group, but it felt like royalty of the sport, certainly in the college side. All right. So let's get to the game itself. Let's deal with Carolina. They got to give them their due. You cover them. It was a reasonable critique because the ACC, and I've heard this from plenty of people say, oh, 12 wins in the ACC, they're in, 24 wins. But all records are not created equal. We've seen this in years past. I do a lot of coverage of the Big Ten, and there was, in 2018, Nebraska and Penn State finished 5-6 and six in the Big Ten and had double-digit wins, and they're like, how could they not get in? Well, they didn't beat any good teams. They beat yeah. all the bottom teams. And so the records obviously have to reflect who you beat, even if you have double-digit wins. And this is just a down year in the ACC. So it was natural to be a little bit critical of their record, even though they'd been winning. But... Why did you, even a little bit, have a slither of optimism in covering this team that they could pull this off based on what had happened the last couple of weeks since that Duke loss? Yeah, well, actually, Andy, I called it publicly on on a local radio station here on Tuesday that Carolina was going to win. Now, I would have said it with my chest more. (laughs) I would have put it out on Twitter and things like that. 
if they wouldn't have lost to Pittsburgh. Because I, I was telling colleagues before that Pittsburgh game that I thought they would win this game. Here's why I thought they were going to win. It's a number of reasons, but the main ones were, one, I felt like Duke was not going to be at their best. And because it was because of the pomp and circumstance of what was going on, that took them out of their routine. You know, it was just too much extra. And I also felt like if Carolina kept it close, the pressure of that atmosphere of having your programs basically all-time greats, <laughs> at least for the last 40 years, all sitting right behind your bench, not standing in judgment, but it might feel that way. And Duke lost to Miami. They lost to Virginia, both at home. And Wake Forest came close to also knocking them off at home. I felt like being at home for them this year created a different kind of pressure for that team. And it's not like it's a veteran team, so, you know. Yeah, three freshman starters. Yeah, exactly. So so I didn't feel like they would handle that well. Now, the flip side is I basically felt like Carolina was due. They have too much talent on this team. And you saw it in flashes when they would put together certain games, certainly the Florida State game, the Virginia game. Now, those teams aren't, you know, what they've been in the, the recent few years here. but they put together some quality games, even in games they lost, they put together some quality play for spurts. So I felt like they were due a game to put it all together. And because they lost by 20, that just speaks to your pride, man. <laughs> you just got beat by 20. You can't let that happen again. It doesn't matter where it is or what the circumstances were. So I felt like all of those things were going to work in Carolina's favor and they could come out with the win. I mean, if you had parachuted down from space and had not seen any other games and you saw that high-low with Baycott and Manic, and the way R.J. Davis could get to the rim and Caleb Love and Leaky Black doing, you know, every once in a while making a big play, you'd be like, whoa, this is a really good team. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, just take it in that moment of time. What's the potential here next week in Brooklyn and beyond? Now, here's the thing with this team, and I've compared them to like, uh, you know, like you feel like a jaded lover because as soon as you want to buy all in and go all in with this person, they let you down. <laughs> they have a Kentucky game where they lose by 29. They have a Miami game where they lose by 28. They have the Wake Forest game and the Duke game where they're losing by 20. And Pitt. And Pitt. And Pitt was the really the one because that game was at home to a team that on paper they should beat. And it was just a letdown. I mean, Pitt, it wasn't a fluke shot <laughs> at the end. Pitt was up 20 in that game before Carolina, you know, made a little bit of a comeback. So I think that this team hasn't handled prosperity well this year. So this is a true test. I want to say they've won five in a row, which is their longest streak of the season um, so far. I want to say this game, this win at Duke, they learn from it and they see how they have to play moving forward. Now, the flip side of that is I feel like their margin of error isn't that great. If Baycott gets in foul trouble, they're in trouble. Dawson Garcia is, you know, obviously not playing anymore for the rest of the season. So it's really Baycott and Manic in the front court, and that's it. And for those guys to play the entire second half at Duke, you know, I worry about the fatigue for this team, the fatigue factor. Especially in a tournament that's potentially back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Exactly. So I think that they can use that game as a springboard and, you know, do some great things moving forward here in the postseason. But I'm still not saying it with my chest, Andy. I'm still like, you know, we'll see how they play. It's, it's still kind of a touch and go with this team because of what they've done earlier in the season. 
So what does this do though, CL? He's beloved. He's the nicest guy in the world, you know, in terms of Hubert Davis, but you always need that credibility win. Yeah. So, so what does this do for him in the greater Tar Heel community? This definitely was a prove it win. And this is, you know, it's greater than a feather in a cap. I don't, I don't even know how to express that. This, I think, took that albatross off of his back for, for the moment. And, and I'm not saying that like there's some kind of movement like of people that want to get rid of him or anything like that. But there was still a lot of skepticism from people just like, well, let's wait and see how this works. And honestly, I think the same is going to be the case for John Shire next year at Duke. It's going to be judged by the postseason more than anything else. Like the regular season, even in his first year. And Duke Carolina. Yes. It's just kind of like, okay, we see how you do X, Y, Z. But when the banners can be won, that's when it's really going to be, okay, well, this guy is a great fit or this guy, I don't know if it's working. All right, so let's close with Duke. They lost their chance to be a one seed. I don't think they'll lose being a two because someone's going to have to take it from them, but they may slide to the bottom of that. Could be like that last two. You never know. It depends what happens next week. They only go seven deep. I mean, not that's crazy. A lot of teams do that, but, you know, inexperienced, three freshman starters. How much has this shaken, you think, the perception, even though Coach K was like, hey, we're not done yet. We got more to do for Duke in Brooklyn and then beyond. I actually think that loss will benefit Duke because of the way, you know, Kay was laser focused. I don't know what time he ended up leaving the arena last night. I know he was in there pretty late. I know it was definitely 11 o'clock. He was still there. So I think he's got their attention and moving forward in this ACC tournament for sure. I feel like they'll have laser focus. Again, I worry about them, though, in the NCAA tournament. One reason is because they don't have that Tyus Jones. They don't have that Trey Jones, for that matter. Point guard, pure point guard. Quinn Cook. Yes. Who was there. Who can facilitate and, you know, set everybody up and everything. I felt like Roach has, has had some good moments in that role, but they don't have just that true point guard. And I feel like March belongs to guards all the time, point guards specifically, if you have an elite one. That concerns me about him. But I also feel like, man, Paolo Banchero, when he is focused in like he was in the first half against Carolina, you know, he had to drive on Manic with the two-handed slant. Like, you can see him take over. I don't know that he necessarily has that will, but he has that talent, you know, and – Talent also wins games in March. So I do wonder, though, if that pressure of we have to win it for Coach K will be in the back of their minds and will manifest it. And they haven't been good. You know, those three games I mentioned, those three losses at home, they haven't been good closing out games. And that that's the number one thing you got to do in March. You know, so I definitely think in Brooklyn they're going to be on point because of this loss to Carolina. but. You know, going into the NCAA, I I don't know. I don't know. If I had to pick right now, I wouldn't put Duke in the Final Four. Neither would I. But let's see what the bracket looks like and see what the path is for the Blue Devils as well as the Tar Heels. CL, always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Uh, And as always, people can check out your coverage at? Newsobserver.com or follow me on Twitter at CL Brown Hoops. Awesome. Thanks, CL. Thanks for having me, Andy. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, time for Katz Ranks here. 
on March Madness Men's Basketball. I'm going to look at my top 10 first round games or quarterfinal games, I should say. Well, actually, in some cases, it might be first round because some of these tournaments play so many. Basically, the best matchups that we know are likely to happen on Thursday or Friday. This is potential matchups in major conference tournaments. Number one, Creighton Marquette. This is definitely going to happen on Thursday. It's a 4-5. Creighton won both. Double overtime and one point. I think Creighton and Marquette are both in, but I expect the third meeting to be just as in tantalizing a matchup in New York. Number two, an 8-9 matchup in the Big Ten tournament. Indiana-Michigan. Indiana lost by 18 at home to Michigan. That was a game that really turned Michigan's seasons around. Michigan's going to be in. They've done enough. 3-2 and two with Phil Martelli as the stand-in coach while Juwan Howard served a suspension. I think Indiana needs this one. They almost got Purdue on the road. They beat Michigan. They'll be in. So, big-time game in the Big Ten Thursday in Indianapolis. All right. Here's what gets interesting. Number three, Colorado taking on Oregon, assuming Oregon beats Oregon State. This would happen on Thursday. Colorado split with Oregon, kind of oddly lost with double figures at home and then won by four at Oregon. Both these teams could win the Pac-12 tournament if they play at their potential. Clearly, Arizona's still the best team, but it's not crazy. And Colorado's hot. They just beat Arizona. So the winner of that game has a pulse. Four, Texas Tech versus Iowa State Thursday. 3-6 matchup. They split. Red Raiders coming off a loss. Iowa State has slid to sixth, but I anticipate the third matchup between these two teams to be really intense. Five, standing in the Big 12. Texas versus TCU. Now, Texas dominated the two games, winning by 23-9. and But the Longhorns, are they might be smarting a little after that overtime loss to Kansas. TCU just played Kansas twice and split with them. So, another intriguing matchup in the Big 12. Six, Michigan State playing Maryland in a 7-10 game in the Big 10 on Friday, on Thursday, excuse me, right after playing them on Sunday. So, Michigan State, you know, both these games were pretty close despite the score on Sunday not being as close, but Michigan State, they're in, they're working on seeding, but Maryland can be dangerous, certainly with Fats Russell. Seven, Arkansas in a 4-5 matchup against LSU, assuming LSU beats Ole Miss or Missouri. This would happen on Friday. Arkansas, LSU, really close games when they played. I think we'd see another one if this happens. Eight, stay in the SEC, a 9-8 game. Florida, Texas A&M. A&M won the first matchup. This would be Thursday. I think both schools have a pulse. We'll see what happens this week. But they, they're they not off the grid yet. So winner, still standing, loser, out. Nine, again, a matchup that could happen. SMU, the two-seed in the American, taking on the winner of Wichita State, Tulsa. This would be Friday. SMU swept Tulsa, lost to Wichita State in the one game they played. They didn't end up making up the other one. I think the Mustangs are in as of this moment. Lose that game, they're going to sweat. And lastly, in the A-10, St. Louis, assuming the Billikens get by either LaSalle or St. Joe's, 
They were taking a 5-4 matchup versus the Bonnies on Friday. Look, St. Bonaventure, all five starters back. Uh, St. Louis is a dangerous team. I think the winner of this game could win the A-10 tournament. So, really intriguing matchup. So those are my 10 I'm really looking forward to in the first full days in all these respective tournaments. And that is Cats Ranks here on Champ Week. And now joining me here on NCAA Digital and March Madness Men's Basketball, Mike DeCourcy from the Big Ten Network, Sporting News and Fox Sports, the bracketologist for Fox. All right, Mike, as we are heading into the larger champ week, what are you most looking forward to among the major conference tournaments? When people complain about the conference tournaments, and that's prevalent, I ask, how can you complain about more basketball? And so I'm looking forward, frankly, to all of it. There will be great basketball from Monday when some of the terrific middle major conferences start to decide uh, their championships all the way through to Sunday. And I know that this is almost sacrilege, but this is my favorite week of the year. I enjoy this as much as I enjoy the final four weekend and the regional and, and the first weekend, those grand celebration of the first two days. This is the week that I enjoy the most. So I'm sure that I will find something interesting and compelling every minute of every day. All right. So let's look at a couple of these. I'm not going to go bracket by bracket, but just in general, I'm curious who you would sort of circle in some of these leagues that, you know, could be a bid stealer or is not a favorite. And so let's just start with the Big Ten. If it's not Illinois, Wisconsin, Purdue, then who is it? Then it might be Iowa. Yeah. They have defended well lately, which is in direct opposition to their tournament's recent history and reputation. They've defended very well. They made it very hard for Illinois to score at most of the afternoon. They have been effective down the stretch. They didn't just win all of those games in a row prior to Sunday because they're a fabulous offensive team. They wanted at the defensive end as well. And so I think that they're dangerous. I would not want to be the team that has to play them, has to stop Keegan Murray, has to deal with, with their various weapons, the passing ability that they have. They were a little shorthanded on Sunday against Illinois, and they still nearly won on the road. I, I thought that was very impressive. All right. In the Big East, I'm going to take three off the table. If it's not Villanova, Providence, UConn, who is it? Ooh, okay. So if it's not those, then I think it will be Seton Hall. Seton Hall still has great ability. I, I think they miss Bryce Aiken because it was such a change of pace, but Kadari Richmond is starting to get the rhythm of being a full-time 30-minute point guard. I think that they have a chance with what he's been able to bring to the team, uh, finally really mastering that. Maybe mastering is a strong word, but getting the idea of how to be a full-time point guard. I think they're dangerous. All right. In the ACC, if it's not Duke or Carolina. I'm going to put Carolina Ooh. there because they just beat Duke. Yeah. Who could it be? I think Notre Dame could do it. I do. I think they have enough offensive ability to hang with every team in the league. They defend well enough to have nearly won the league regular season. They were right there to the very end. I think that they could do it. I'm interested that you took Carolina off the table because you know that's what I was going to say. Those last eight minutes they're, they're what we've been waiting to see. Yes. I've had people respond by talking about that, by saying, well, look at the record. They haven't played like that. Right. With that ferocity. They were so intent. They were so confident down that stretch. 
that North Carolina can beat a lot of people in this NCAA tournament. All right, SEC. This can be hard to take some off the table, but I'm going to take off Auburn, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Tennessee. I was hoping you wouldn't take Tennessee. <laughs> uh, if it's not them, then I think it's LSU. Over Alabama. Okay. Yeah, because I was impressed by their resilience in that game on Saturday. I thought that that was a very impressive performance from the Tigers. And they came very close to winning it a year ago, obviously with a better team, a more accomplished team. Sometimes you see teams that get that close kind of come back and think, I want to win that next time and put everything they have into doing that. And obviously LSU has a lot to play for. If they were able to put that together, they could climb a few lines on the NCAA tournament bracket. All right, Big 12. I'm only going to take three of the four off. If it's not Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech, who is it? You know, I want to say Texas because of the talent, but I don't trust them. I'm going to say TCU. Ooh, I thought you might go Iowa State. I am the biggest Mike Miles guy. Okay. Like, he's my guy. In a season where there is there are too few outstanding point guards, you have a guy who's got a gold medal back home in his trophy case for the U-19 World Cup this past summer, and he was one of the biggest reasons that that was won. And you can see the influence he has on close games with his ability to control the basketball, make great passes, bully, for lack of a better term, defenders. And I like the weapons they have around him. So I think that they could do it. I don't think it's likely because I think the winner's going to either be Kansas or Baylor. But uh, that's the outside chance. All right, Pac-12, because I'm going to want to make you make this choice. I'm taking the big three off. Arizona, UCLA, USC. Who's the fourth Uh, that could do it? Okay, I'm going to surprise you with this pick. Arizona State. I'm going to be honest with you. I watched them beat UCLA, and my reaction wasn't as much how did they beat UCLA is how were they like eight and 15 at the time? They have players and they just got off to a really, really slow start. Guys didn't make a great transition from mid-major circumstances to high major to each other, I guess, but they've played very well of late. And I'm telling you, they have players and we know Bobby can coach. So that's the team that I would roll with as an outside shot. Interesting. I thought you were going to take Colorado, Oregon, but I like that pick. All right. In the A-10, if it's not Davidson, who won the regular season title, but they did just lose to Dayton, who is it? You know, I still think BCU has it in them, and they have a lot to play for. They're the one team in the A-10 that could still get an at-large other than Davidson. They really sort of flubbed their lines over the weekend. The loss they took, they couldn't afford. But I think they could still scramble back into it if they were to make the final and, and not win. So, I'm going to say that that's the team that could put it together and win it. But Bonaventure could, St. Louis could. So I think it's going to be one of the most interesting tournaments because at a date night as well, all those coulds maybe have to win the A-10 tournament in order to get in. And that sort of changes the dynamic. All right. I'm only going to take one off in the American. They just lost to Memphis, got swept. So Houston's off the table. Who could win it? Yeah, I'm going with the Tigers. I know they've lost twice to SMU, but they looked much like Carolina on Saturday. Memphis on Sunday looked like a team that could make a run similar to Kentucky 2014. And it's interesting that that I saw that come up elsewhere on Twitter today. And what's interesting about it to me is because I've been starting to tell people that this field is like 2014. I remember distinctly when 2014 was happening, 
Florida was the overall number one seed, and I knew they couldn't win it. They just didn't have enough talent. They certainly had the coach, and they were a great college basketball team, but they didn't have enough talent to win six games, and that was proven to be true. And I look at this season with all the top teams that we have, Arizona, Baylor, Kansas, they all could win it, but there's nobody that should win it. There's nobody that you look at and say they have everything that they need in order to win it. Everybody has a glaring flaw that will be hard to paper over, but somebody's going to paper over their flaws and somebody's going to leave New Orleans with a trophy. I do believe that Memphis could be scary. Carolina could be scary because of that weakness at the top of the field. All right. Last question, Mike. Let's assume Gonzaga, Arizona, safe as ones. Okay. So now we got two. You got potentially two big 12s in Kansas and Baylor, as we know. Prior to this weekend, I would have said said that Duke and Wisconsin, potentially if they'd won the regular season, won the conference tournament, they both could compete for one. That's off the table. So who is the team or which are the teams, if there are two, that you think by Sunday afternoon could have played their way up to getting one of those ones? So are you excluding Baylor? No, no, no. I'm going to say that I think Kansas, excuse me, Arizona and Gonzaga are there. So now you have Kansas and Baylor for now, potentially as the other two. But let's say hypothetically, they canceled each other out. They lost both. One loses early so that ultimately both don't get it. So now at least there's one spot. I think, let me say this. I think at least one Big 12 for sure is going to get it. So now we have one spot, either two Big 12 or someone else rises up. I think there'll be a one out of the SEC and I think it'll be Auburn or Kentucky. Kentucky would have to win the SEC tournament, no question. Uh, They have to fix the quad one record. Winning that probably would at least get enough room between themselves and 500 in that department. It also would probably impress because they'd have to play well to beat teams like Tennessee, like Auburn, et cetera. Uh, Those are terrific teams. So they'd have to do something special. Uh, And Auburn, for me, is still a one. I don't don't have Kansas on the one line at this point. I think Baylor's going to be hard to take down. I think they'd probably have to lose their quarterfinal game to come off. And someone would have to knock them off. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think there's anybody out there that can put up in the final week of the season what Baylor has already hung up there. Right. I could be wrong. And again, if they lost in the quarters, they might say, okay, well, that's post-Chamochachua injury. You look at the total of it and maybe it's not enough. Like, So they have to win a game or two. But I think if they're in the final, that's over for them. And, and maybe if Kansas is the team they play in the final and they win it, maybe they trump the SEC combo of Auburn and Kentucky. But I think that in the end, it'll be the two you mentioned, Baylor, and then one of Auburn and Kentucky. Or Kansas. No? Well, I think Baylor will get the one. And I just... What about the scenario of if Kansas beats Baylor in the final in the final yeah I mean I think that might be enough to get them up there and the other two lose in the you know semis or something but if if Kentucky wins the SEC tournament I mean that 20 point at some point that enters the conversation if Kentucky rings up enough wins enough impressive wins I took a lot of heat when I had Kansas and Kentucky same region uh, right before the bracket reveal I took a lot of heat from my readers a lot of whom are Kentucky fans and, you know, my point was that it's not the same. You're, you don't have identical resumes. If you did or they were close, then that 20-point win factors in. But right. when it, it was there was a clear distance then. And there still kind of is because Kentucky 
has been unable to win those road games that they played in the league, uh, Tennessee, Arkansas, et cetera. So that gap still exists, and they're going to have to beat really good people at the SEC tournament to try to close it and get up there. All right, Mike, we'll be watching, we'll be reading, and uh, I'll see you in Indy. You bet. Thanks, Sandy. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness Men's Basketball. Great week coming up. We'll talk to you uh, selections Sunday, Monday, as the pod drops with a bracket. Cannot believe we're going to have a bracket with fans and 14 sites. I mean, just being in that atmosphere, Cameron Indoor Stadium, gave me chills of what we're going to feel in a tournament that we have not had a full tournament since 2019. We had one last year in the bubble. So glad we did, but not the same. We're back in 2022. As always, thanks to Abby Stoltz, our team at NCAA.com, Warner Media, Bleacher Report, everyone that helps with the pod. Appreciate everyone. Thanks for listening.